The Cobra Effect refers to a story of a British overlord in colonial India. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Cobra Effect. I hadn't until a few days ago. So the setting is colonial India, and one of the British administrators in Delhi grows concerned about the size of India's cobra population. Cobras, of course, being one of the most venomous snakes in the world. So the British offer a monetary reward for every dead cobra, intended to serve, obviously, as an incentive for Indians to help cull the cobra population. But the famously entrepreneurial residents of Delhi also spotted a great opportunity to make some money, and many of them promptly began to breed cobras. As a result, the British had to pay out vast sums of money for dead cobras until they wised up to what was happening and put the brakes on the whole thing. But by that time, Delhi's cobra population had already exploded in size thanks to all the breeding. And when the British stopped paying the bounty, some cobras were killed by their breeders, but some were also simply set loose. So the end result of a seemingly straightforward attempt to reduce cobra numbers actually ended up increasing cobra numbers. Economists call this phenomenon the cobra effect, and it refers essentially to the unintended consequences that can arise as a result of well-intentioned government policies, often around the environment or health. Unintended consequences aren't always negative. Sometimes they can be positive. And we're considering unintended consequences today because it's already clear that South Africa's extended lockdown, which was designed only to try to halt the spread of COVID-19, is going to have all sorts of effects which go way beyond the pandemic itself. Welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger, the Daily Maverick podcast where we bring you the stories behind the stories. In today's episode, we're exploring the unintended consequences of two of the most controversial aspects of South Africa's lockdown, the ban on the sale of alcohol and the ban on the sale of tobacco. I'm Rebecca Davis. My name is Neville Flock. I'm an emergency physician in one of the largest private emergency practices in the country. Due to the lockdown and most specifically the, the alcohol and tobacco ban, we've seen a major decrease in our patient numbers. Where we used to see between 100 and 130 patients per day, we're down to about 20 to 40 patients per day. And, and most of them are not trauma-related. The odd domestic accidents are there, people falling from ladders or injured with machinery a little bit more, especially with the, with the DIY accidents. But overall, our patient numbers have drastically decreased during this lockdown period. I am Dr. Marit Liebenberg. I work at Interim Jambili Hospital. We generally see a bunch of trauma cases. And since the prohibition on alcohol, our cases have gone significantly down. They've been few and far in between. Doctors all over the country have been saying the same thing. This month, Kruitskia Hospital in Cape Town which has one of the largest trauma intakes in the world, reported that in its 80 years of existence, the hospital has never seen such a sudden drop in trauma cases. The reason? Well, according to the trauma specialists at the hospital, at least 50% of the drop in cases can be attributed to the ban on selling alcohol during lockdown. National studies have suggested the same trend at other hospitals. A lot of this is because there is so much less drunk driving happening. And another source of evidence for that is the fact that over the Easter weekend last year, in 2019, 800 people were arrested countrywide for drunk driving. This year, over the same period, 
only 11 people ended up in handcuffs. It's not just hospital cases related to drunk driving that are down, but also injuries stemming from interpersonal violence, gunshots, bar brawls, and so on. Professor Andrew Nichol, the head of the trauma unit at Krotskia, told the media that this reduced trauma intake has significantly diminished strain on hospital resources, meaning that there are more beds and more doctors available for patients requiring other forms of critical care. As positive as this might be, it's also definitely an unintended consequence of the ban on selling alcohol during lockdown. In those chaotic few days before lockdown began, when cabinet ministers were scrambling to explain what would and would not be allowed, no cabinet minister said, hey, we're banning alcohol because we have a pretty good sense that doing so will save lives from drunk driving and bar fights, and also we want to reduce strain on trauma units. Analysts kind of assumed that the ban on alcohol sale was because alcohol consumption lowers inhibitions and makes people more likely to engage in risky behavior in general. But nobody from government ever spelled out the reason clearly at the time, which is partly why the liquor ban caused so much public consternation. The other reason why people got so upset at the idea they wouldn't be able to buy alcohol during lockdown is more obvious. It's because we are a nation of heavy drinkers. Alcohol is a real social leveler in South Africa. Across race, class and culture, we like a dorp. And this brings us to another unintended consequence of the liquor ban, this time a really negative one. Addiction counsellor Freddy van Rensburg spends most of his professional life helping people to get off booze and stay off it. As a result, you might think he would welcome a prohibition on the sale of alcohol. But when Freddy heard the news about the liquor ban, his response was quite different because he could predict an effect that policymakers either overlooked or ignored. My first question was honestly, why? Why would they, why would they do this? Because... It, it, it sounded like something where you put people unnecessarily at the risk. For those who are seriously addicted to alcohol, the effects of having alcohol suddenly become unavailable go way beyond just the grumpiness and complaints of casual drinkers. When you are deeply physically dependent on alcohol, suddenly stopping drinking can be dangerous. For alcoholics or for people who use a lot of alcohol, there are significant health risks. You know, people think that because alcohol is so readily available and so socially acceptable, that it's not a dangerous drug. But alcohol withdrawals is one of the most dangerous withdrawals. Delirium tremens can cause death. So we, we are very, very strict when we speak to patients who just say they want to stop drinking, they, they, they're just going to go off it. Don't stop drinking without consultation with a medical practitioner. Make sure that you have the support of a doctor to take you through this. Alcohol withdrawal is dangerous. Freddie says that one of the classic aspects of an addict's psychology is very poor impulse control. In other words, when the craving for a drug hits, you want it now, regardless of what the consequences of that might be. That is the sound of a Topps bottle store being looted in Elsie's River over Easter weekend. Another unintended consequence of the liquor ban, in which addiction may play a role, though Freddie says it's likely that other social factors are at play too. So what we might see is that people are willing to go to terrible lengths to get the product that they need to get them the gratification that they want. 
What I would like to see when it comes to the looting would be something like the age spread of the looters. Because I think with looting, we might deal with, with additional societal issues. Things like peer pressure. Things like younger people who are bored and they have a lot of energy. And they're used to causing trouble, so they go out and they cause trouble. And also even the ability to make money from the looting. So my feeling is that, that, that we might see the actual person with the addictive problem being part of the looting problem, but I do think there's a societal aspect to it as well. So it will be interesting to be able to see that breakdown. The truth is that it will be interesting to see a lot of breakdowns related to the effects of the liquor ban. Another will be the full cost to the economy, because here's another whopper of an unintended consequence. The money government is currently losing from taxes due to the prohibition on booze and cigarettes during a public health emergency could have been the money which would ultimately go towards paying for better health care. Back in January 2020, analysts from Treasury wrote a paper considering the difficult question of where the money was going to come from to fund South Africa's national health insurance. And one possible solution they came up with was the following that to cover increased spending on health, government should consider ring-marking the taxes on alcohol and cigarettes. The vibrant and racy world of Peter Stuyvesant. Gumston gives you the best tobaccos a man can get. Now, Willie Hoppy, how mild can a cigarette be? Well, I've been smoking camels for 20 years. I know they're mild. My name is Johan van Lochrenberg. And during my time as civil servant, I had a lot to do with smuggling and the tobacco trade and people within the tobacco trade who took corners, so to speak. Johan van Lochrenberg literally wrote the book on tobacco, taxes and all the secret criminal activity surrounding the two. It's called Tobacco Wars, published in 2019, and it's an absolute page turner. When we come back, more from Johan. This podcast and much of Daily Maverick's work is made possible by Daily Maverick Insiders, our community of readers who provide us with hugely appreciated monthly support. You can find details on the Insider program and the benefits available through it on the Daily Maverick's website. I was a police official during the 90s up until 1998, and I focused on investigating organized crime syndicates. And I then joined the South African Revenue Service, where I worked until uh, 2015, where after I resigned in the wake of state capture, you know, the tobacco trade itself did play a role in the pretext that ultimately led to drama at the South African Revenue Service in 2014 as part of state capture. Johan knows a thing or two about what happens when the legal trade of tobacco products is stopped because there was already a thriving illegal trade into cigarettes before the lockdown. And Johan says that for cigarette smugglers, the unintended consequence of the lockdown has amounted to one massive payday. I'll give you a practical example. One can purchase a full container of cigarettes currently in the underground market in South Africa for 30 million rand in cash. And those transactions are happening as we speak. Now, that's treble the amount of what a smuggled container of cigarettes cost pre-lockdown. So within a matter of less than a month, it's trebled in value. And I've seen figures and, and evidence where a carton of cigarettes is selling for up to 900 rand. 
And these are what are commonly known as cheapies. So those cigarette packets cost 25 to 30 rand a, a packet. So it's an incredible markup and people are making a lot of money. Johan points out that the reason why there is so much money to be made in illegal cigarettes is because despite the widespread knowledge about the health effects of cigarettes these days, an incredible number of South Africans still smoke. In fact, around one in five. The general estimations, if we just quickly look at numbers, is that pre-lockdown there were around 11 million of the 60-odd million South Africans that were smokers. That's quite a significant portion of our population. And these are adult smokers, and those are the recorded smokers. So these are not the naughty kids smoking behind the school hall. These 11 million smokers are a massive market, desperate for a fix during lockdown. And what that has meant, too, is that there has been every incentive for organized crime syndicates, who never previously bothered with tobacco, to suddenly wise up to this tremendous opportunity. Then you've got existing organized crime syndicates who were perhaps more involved in illicit drugs and gun running and that sort of thing, who've now simply expanded their existing networks and their existing supply chains and outlets in inverted commas and diversified their products to include cigarettes. So you see evidence of busts of cigarettes, for instance, from Zimbabwe and Mozambique and Botswana. So you've also got this uh, influx of transnational crime groups that see South Africa and the 11 million smokers as a new market. And I've seen this in evidence on photos from some of the busts by the police, where you see brands that have never really been available before in South Africa, like Zambian brands. Johan says that by the end of lockdown, it's virtually certain that new crime syndicates will be in operation and the old ones will have taken the oodles of cash they've made during this period and gone further underground. Johan also isn't convinced that officials have fully grasped either the scale of the problem or how to handle it. I do get calls from uh, old colleagues in the police and the revenue service and elsewhere asking my advice and my thoughts, and they are at the cold face of dealing with this problem. And I must tell you, I'm extremely concerned for the lack of insight, the lack of planning, the lack of focus, the the shortage that they seem to have in respect of intelligence in the broad sense. It seems to not be reaching them and all of that needs to be interpreted and put into some kind of a plan. And I really get a sense that uh, they don't have a proper sense of the problem as it is now. He's also worried about the potential effects of the lockdown on desperate smokers willing to break the law to get their fix. Johan says that last week he got an SMS from the government. It read, During lockdown, alcohol, takeaway food and cigarette sales are not allowed. Don't put your life and the lives of others at risk. But in Johan's view, the ban itself may be putting lives at risk. Now, unfortunately, in my view, based on my research thus far, This message and the ban itself has the opposite effect of trying to prevent people putting their own lives and lives of others at risk. In the main, because you've now got people who are so desperate to get their cigarettes that they're prepared to travel distances, take chances, go late at night and make these secret and covert deals undercover so they can get their packs of cigarettes. And that means if any one of them happened to pick up the virus, and there has to be tracing and tracking, it's very unlikely that they'll own up to those people that they participated in a criminal act 
and bought from a smuggler or an illicit outlet, I don't think they'll necessarily always be completely honest. So I think there's a tension between those two concepts. Johan is not wrong. The desperation for cigarettes has already cost at least one life. A few days ago, a customer in Malmesbury was reported to have stabbed to death a shopkeeper who refused to sell him cigarettes. Let's get back to the tax issue again, which used to be Johan's bread and butter. You probably recognize his name, by the way, because Johan was a key member of the so-called SARS Rogue Unit, the mythical band in the revenue collector, which the EFF and their cronies are still pursuing, despite the fact that the Rogue Unit narrative has been overwhelmingly and conclusively discredited. The loss to the revenue service uh, in terms of real-time taxes, I'm not referring to income tax and so on, but this would be value-added tax and excise tax on manufacturing and sales, is estimated, I see, to be around 500 million rand thus far during lockdown. 500 million rand is one hell of an unintended consequence, particularly at a time when government is going to be in desperate need of money. In fact, 500 million is a tenth of the amount Cyril Ramaphosa announced on April 21st that the government would be spending on economic and social relief measures during the lockdown. You have to imagine that chunk of cash would have come in handy. Just as was the case with the alcohol ban, though, one thing that is fueling public frustration with the cigarette ban is that there was so little communication on the reasons for it. Was it because COVID-19 is a lung disease? Was it because smokers tend to nip out to the shops for cigarettes all the time and government wanted to put a stop to that? At the time of lockdown and when these, let's call it a ban, or the, 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 the stop and sale of cigarettes, when that occurred in the beginning phase of lockdown, there was no real explanation from a data-based or scientific perspective by government other than when it became a public issue, there seems to me to have been post facto comments that smoking is bad for you. And of course, there's no debate there. But I think the issues there for me would be when the initial and the later amended regulations came in, what was the science and the logic that was applied by government? What's the underlying data? And was this explained to the 11 million smokers? Are you lighting up the cigarette right now? Is that what I hear? Yes, I am. <laughs> I should say, Johan makes it perfectly clear he may not be totally objective in his personal views on the ban. Pretty much every South African I've spoken to accepts that the lockdown is imperative to slow the spread of COVID-19 and that sacrifices have to be made many of which will be greater than foregoing a glass of wine or a cigarette. But it's also clear that this lockdown is going to come with a social and economic bill which has yet to be fully tallied. And when that reckoning arrives, some of these unintended consequences may cost us dearly. Don't Shoot the Messenger is a podcast brought to you by The Daily Maverick. This episode was produced by Haji Mohammed Dauji with sound engineering, editing and support by Bernard Kotzer, Tevya Turok-Shapiro, and Catherine Kotzer. You can listen to Don't Shoot the Messenger on the Daily Mavericks website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more, subscribe to the Daily Mavericks newsletters and follow us on Twitter and Instagram.
Our podcast is only as good as you make it, so please rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review.